With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lockaway channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pamper Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. Angie Cruz had already published two books when her widely acclaimed novel, Dominicana, catapulted her to the next level. But it was a struggle to get Dominicana published, and that struggle unfolded during a period of time when the entire world felt on tilt. So much so that Angie almost quit writing. Then the muse came rushing in to let Angie know that she was not allowed to throw in the towel, not yet. Now in her new novel, How Not to Drown in a Glass of Water, Angie introduces us to that muse, Cara Romero, a Dominicana who gets laid off from her factory job during the Great Recession, and when the checks from El Obama run out, is forced back into the job market. Cara gets set up with a job counselor with whom she then shares the story of her incredible life. Angie and I talk about confronting rejection, who is presumed competent, who has to prove their competence, and why she believes that now is always a good time to start. Angie Cruz, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. Growing up, formative years, you're you know moving back and forth, New York and the DR. What do you remember about that period? And was there a place where you felt you most belonged? In some ways, I feel like I belong nowhere and in a lot of places, right? So when I think about home, and I've thought about it a lot, I think about how that space usually is occupied in my mother's kitchen. And it's like a collection of smells and things that are said and intonations and language and code switching. But when I'm in Dominican Republic, it's the same kitchen, just a different island. And I'm thinking, wow, this is so weird. In some ways, we live in a different time place continuum. You know, when people talk about the multiverse, I'm like, oh, that's the exact embodied experience of the immigrant. 
we are here and we are there. I love that. And I, and I love thinking of it as a New Jersey Cuban in the context of, you know, my people didn't get to go back home. Mm-hmm. And, but to your point, they live there in their own mythology, right? In their hearts and their minds, they are still moving on that space-time continuum without actually ever getting on a plane and getting to go back home. So I love that. And the stories they tell are so vivid that you sometimes think you experience it. So there are things that I experienced when I got older that I would visit a place and it would feel like deja vu. But I was thinking, oh no, this was just described to me over and over again that now I believe I ate this or now I believe I have been here. Yes, yes, yes. I find your story very interesting, Angie, in that you're going to FIT. You're working during the day at a cashmere shop. What's the moment where you realize this is not the path that I'm supposed to be on? I think that as I was growing up in a family that was full of aspirations toward um, gathering wealth, let's say, jobs, benefits, a better life, so much sacrifice went into that entire project. And the truth is, I wasn't a very strong student as a high school student, but I had some drawing skills. I knew how to sew. I studied fashion design, but it wasn't a passion. It was just something that I could do to satisfy kind of the desire of the immigrant project in my family, which is I needed to go to college. But I also knew that I wanted to be independent so I could set my life around my own rules. My mother was incredibly strict. And she said, you know, if you want to do what you want to do, you have to pay your own rent. And I just left. And I said, okay, I'm going to pay my own rent. And the way to do it back then was entering retail. And I was fortunate enough to get into a job at Madison Avenue While I was in that position, I realized that the only reason I was even given the job is because they thought I was Italian. And I went into a culture that was incredibly racist, classist for sure, and full of microaggressions, although I couldn't, I didn't have that language back then. It's something we talk about now. And even if I was making very good money and I was a very strong salesperson and I was constantly getting a promotion because I was passing as a light-skinned Black Latina, I found myself really unhappy. And I realized, could I do this for the rest of my life? And I was fortunate because, you know, I was asked the question, well, what else would you want to do? And I kind of flippantly said, I want to tell the stories of how messed up these customers are that they're buying $300 socks when my grandmother's making $300 a week, if that at the factory in New Jersey. And I was encouraged, well, you should write that story then. You should write that story. And I didn't take them seriously. But what I'm saying, it did plant a seed. And I realized that I have to go get an education. And I went back to school and I studied in SUNY Binghamton. And I thrived at SUNY Binghamton. I found Black professors who were really invested in helping students, it's particularly me, a Dominican student, realized like that I was part of the Black diaspora, that Toni Morrison was telling part of our story. And that made me think, oh my God, how did I not know this my entire life? So it was a slow start, but I do think that um, I like to tell this story because I feel a lot of people I know, especially that come from working class culture, they don't imagine themselves as artists or writers because there really are such few public roadmaps to that place. But 
it's always the right time to start is what I like to believe and say, because my trajectory was incredibly non-traditional. When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads. What did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swaddlers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swaddlers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blow-up barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blow-ups. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size 8. And now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important. And it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the balls filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh, boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? <laughs> they do look cute, though. Bringing cheer. M&M's for all fun kind. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. I thought a lot about the fact that if I understand this right, Dominicana, you wrote over the course of more than a decade, I think about 14 years. Did it then feel working on how not to drown in a glass of water, over water, because you see my New Jersey accent, water, water <laughs> over the course of four or five years? Like, did you feel like that was a fast clip? Well, you know, the truth is that when I was working on Dominicana, there were a few hurdles I had to get over. One was that I was writing about something that was very personal about my mother, right? Like it's a fictional novel, but it was inspired by my mother and my father was incredibly abusive. So I had to overcome the hurdle of my own emotional feelings about like the character Juan. So when you are writing a book and you have a bias against character, that character will never work. It's almost like you have to figure out, well, how do I love this character more? right? Even if it's a character that in my own personal life, I've shut out. So to look at a person holistically, compassionately, generously requires a lot of inner work. So when I think about Dominicana, I think part of it was inner work. Part of it, I had a, you know, I had a child, all of these things got in the way. And also it took four years to find a publisher. Well, and I think about you too, writing Dominicana and, and, you know, as you said, it is your mother's story, but in, in sort of a way of building empathy, you were at a point in your own life where you'd become a homeowner, you'd become a mother, you'd become a wife. Any of us who have gone through any of those things recognize a sort of trapped 
feeling, especially if we are ambitious, that all of a sudden being all these things all at once can bring. And that was part of your way in, even though you did not have the literal same experience as your mother of understanding what it meant to feel confined and limited. I wonder then, beyond the fact that you had family who had been through this experience in the Great Recession, what what your entry point was to Gara and the way that she sees herself and sees her life? Well, you know, it's funny because Gara came to me in a way that no other character has ever come to me before. And it was in a moment that I was feeling a lot of despair. And I was actually thinking of quitting writing and starting over because I couldn't sell my book, Dominicana, but also because Trump was president and the world seemed very, very bleak at the moment. I mean, it should always feel bleak because you look at the news and you're like, what else can go wrong? But at the time when Trump was president, it felt like we had gone so many steps backward, especially when it came to gender politics, queer politics and immigration. And it actually like I was on the platform in New York City on 168th Street and Broadway and it was crowded and everyone was in a bad mood. And I was there like, what else could I do? And I had just seen on the news, the Muslim ban, and they were calling for immigration lawyers to go to the airport and help people that were arriving. And I said, I don't have any skills to help anybody. Like, I felt so useless at the time. I was like, what can I do? You know, and I saw this woman studying, you know, ESL book, like some kind of handbook. And she reminded me of like my grandmother, my tia. And I said, what is it like to start over without a language? without, you know, like having to apply for a job. And then I just cracked myself up thinking about some of the women in my family having to go to a job interview now, right, where everything is so digital and like, and I literally was like, it just came to me, Cara Romero. And I got on the subway and I was like, I am going to listen to her answer the first interview question. Tell me something about yourself. And for 40 minutes, I wrote, it's pretty close to what's in the book right now. I mean, wow. I, messed, I messed with it a little bit, you know, for the, the craft of the novel, I had to figure out like how to make it work. But literally her voice came to me. And for a while, almost a year, I just kept asking her questions. And every time I got on a plane or train, I wrote the answer on a phone. And that was my first draft. Angie, I've heard you describe, and this this resonated deeply with me, the ways people of color are often made to perform their identities and not given space to show their complexity. So I think, for example, of my friend Stephanie, who's Mexican-American, showing up at a party, and everyone kept coming up to her and telling her how great the guacamole was. And she was like, that's awesome. I brought the sugar cookies. I think this comes up for all of us in lots of different ways. I wonder both how it has come up for you. And as you shape your characters, do you ever catch yourself sort of falling into this is a one dimensional way to portray this Dominican woman? Um, Absolutely. I feel one that we are all being trained by the same stories, right? Mm. Which is the stories of television and movies and books. And if we're constantly consuming stories that have us as women, as side characters, or not the lead of our particular journey, then we too are going to see ourselves as side characters. Now, as women of color, if we're constantly being portrayed, which we know now from the data that's coming out from all these media organizations, that Latina women are often half naked, rarely speak, you know, are often in roles where they're in service to someone else or some industry. 
how will other people portray me and how will I work against that main narrative myself, even if I know it's not true, right? So it's a constant unlearning and rechecking because the easiest way to move is with the current of what the mainstream narrative is. The hardest is to work against it, the counter narrative. Yeah, I think about Sonia Sotomayor when she was nominated to the Supreme Court and how people were very quick to write her off as being not as smart as she thought she was. Even though she had every degree, every credential, that there was still all of that bias in place. Well, um, and we can't know everything. I mean, I was educated to to believe that I had to know more than everybody else. There's no space for mediocrity ever. Yet I feel like that's not true for like a lot of people, right? So when I write my character, Cara, like it was actually quite fun because here I have this character, Cara Romero and How Not to Drown in a Glass of Water that is like kind of amazing what she's able to do. You know, she has a lot of flaws, but also it was an homage to a lot of the women I know that are presumed incompetent or without abilities when they're literally working all the time using all these different gifts that they bring to the table that are largely invisible. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the LA area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. Working all the time and in service of community and taking care of others. And, and we live, as you say, in a society that doesn't value that work, renders that work invisible largely because it has historically been done by women of color. You also, I mean, I think that is interesting too, because to your point about biases, I think age is a bias, right? And the fact that you set her as an older woman and then she periodically uh, will surprise the person on the other side of the conversation by talking about sex. Or talking about her panties, you know, that it's like, and all of a sudden, you know, and, and there's this interplay of like, you, she can, she responds to the fact that the woman seems scandalized. And it's like, yeah, no, I still do that. Like that to me was sort of this moment of levity and fun where it's like, she's still a full, complete person. What I find most exciting about this moment is how many articles are coming out about the best sex you'll ever have is in your 60s and 70s. You know, I just turned 50 and there are so few narratives about women in their 50s. It's almost like you fall off a cliff. You're like, am I going to fall off a cliff? And what's funny is when I started this book, you know, five years ago, and I was thinking about the women in my family, my, you know, my tias, my grandmother, my mother, they all were laid off in the Great Recession and became part of this large percentage of women in New York City that never found long-term employment again. They all fit a very particular demographic where they had worked in the same company for 20 to 25 years. And when they were laid off, they just didn't, weren't able to restart for whatever reason. There were different challenges to what does it mean to start again in your mid fifties to late fifties. It's almost like you're too young to retire, too old to start again in some ways. And, um, and when this happens, I was in my, you know, twenties, thirties, I thought, 
oh my God, what is it like to be so old and have to do this? And I'm like, oh my God, they're not old at all. I know myself. I still feel like I'm beginning so many new things in my life. Some of the moments when I was reading How Not to Drown in a Glass of Water where I most teared up and lost it were when Gara also asserts herself and she says, Gara Romero is strong. Gara Romero works hard. Like when she would say, I am these things. And if you don't see these things about me, then I'm going to assert them about myself. To your point, it was done with a certain strength of, I have given up on the idea that other people will see me as I am. And so I have learned to assert all of the things that I know myself to be. Well, you know, this is why I had her speaking to a younger generation, because I do think that one of the things that I love about some of the women I'm mentoring in their 20s is like, they'll just be like asserting something about themselves that they maybe don't even quite believe yet, but they tweet it or they'll like say it out of nowhere. And it's like, I am the greatest this, or, you know, like, and I say, you know, this is important because the truth is, if again, if we look at the mirrors that are casted back at us, when you're moving in spaces that are new and challenging and still where we're still the minority in some spaces, you know, that's not what they believe. Presumed incompetence is a disease. It's like everywhere all the time. And I feel like even me with all, you know, with four books now, with a degree, with being a professor at a university, I am still in situations where someone will question what I say and say, well, I am an authority in literature. And I say, and I am an authority in literature. But they actually are like, oh, oh yeah, maybe you are. And it's shocking that I have to keep saying this to people that should see me as peers. Among the people you dedicate the book to are those who've experienced rejection. And I wonder what it is you want a Latina who is listening, who is, whether she is where you were when no one wanted to publish Dominicana, or she is Gara Romero with no college degree, who doesn't think that anybody's ever going to want to hire her for the kind of job she wants to do. What do you want her to know about those moments of rejection? One, that we're not alone. And one of the things, I mean, queer culture is very central in the book. And one of the reasons that it is central in the book is because I do believe that there's this idea of chosen family is something that I was raised with, even though we don't call it chosen family. And I feel incredibly indebted to queer culture that they've created new languages due to the rechazo of the family. They had to create language for all of us to understand like how to move in the world being true to ourselves, right? And this could mean what you want to study. It could mean who you want to love. It could mean so many different things. So el rechazo really comes from something Sheri Moraga said in an earlier work uh, where she uses that about estrangement because one is queer, but it also could be el rechazo that a lot of us feel. I felt the biggest rechazo I guess I felt was education. All my family wanted me to have education. And the moment I went to college and I came back woke, you know, I was very woke in my 20s, probably more woke than I was in an obnoxious way. I came back and I was like calling out everyone in my family as if they had been studying and reading all those books and shutting them down. 
And they were just like, oh, la educada entró. I don't want, you know, we can't talk anymore. We can't say anything anymore. And I realized like, yeah, that was an important stage in my <laughs> growth, but it was also unfair because language is education, right? Like educating yourself on what it means to be a person in the African diaspora, what it means to be a person who cares about climate. All of these are education and it's work. I think a rechazo for me, it was like, oh no, now that I'm educated, I can never be close to my family. But guess what? When I wrote Dominicana and my mother read that book, I felt like that canyon I had created between us shut down because she realized that even though I took off and I traveled and I studied and I did all these things that she could never do and might never experience, she realized I was always looking at her and that I was paying attention. Angie, I just think you are one of the most exciting writers writing today, and I am so grateful that you took the time to talk with us. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Alicia. This was amazing. Thank you, as always, for listening. Latina to Latina is executive produced and owned by Juleka Lantigua and me, Alicia Menendez. Paulina Velasco is our producer. Manuela Bedoya is our marketing lead. Kojin Tashiro is our associate sound designer and mix this episode. We love hearing from you. It makes our day. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. Slide into our DMs on Instagram. Tweet us at latinatolatina. Check out our merchandise that is on our website, latinatolatina.com slash shop. And remember, please subscribe or follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, wherever you are listening right now. Every time you share this podcast, every time you share an episode, every time you leave a review, it helps us to grow as a community. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.